most expensive portrait in the world by several hundreds of millions of dollars. It's worth $860 million. You can see it if you go to Paris and go to the Louvre Museum. But my question for you today is, what would you do if you owned the Mona Lisa? Some of you might sell it immediately. You might get 50% taxed. And you say, that's okay. 430 million will do okay. And you know what? That 30,000 you guys need, I can do that church. I might even build you guys a new church, right? But others of you might say, I'm not going to get rid of it. I would just store it. I'd protect it. I mean, it's so expensive. People might try to do something. So I might have to secure it in a vault somewhere. And others of you might say, with the help of some security, I'm sure, I'm going to proudly display it so others can see this masterpiece. That's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. We're talking about putting God on display, though, not the Mona Lisa. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I've extracted three truths. There's many more, I'm sure. But we're just going to look at three truths that I find. We're going to look at the fact that God wants to display his Mona Lisa. He wants to display something far more expensive, more priceless than a Mona Lisa. That's only $860 million. He wants to display his power, himself, a portrait of Jesus to the world. But secondly, he can only do this through his people who have been made weak. And then lastly, the greater his children die to Christ the greater the life of Christ is on display for others to also receive this life we've already received. So the theme, like I said, is putting him on display. The first point, God wants to display himself through his children. He wants that portrait. You remember we were holding up my gift for everyone to see? That's, we've already received a gift. We want everyone to see the gift that we've already received. And uh, we have opportunities after opportunity to display him throughout our circles of influence. In 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in uh, verse 7, of that second Corinthians. I just want to break this down a little bit. We'll take three chunks at a time here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. True believers, now I'm not talking about just people that profess Christ, because there are actually people that profess Jesus that really don't have a personal relationship to him. But genuine, true believers are referred to here as jars of clay. In the ancient world, jars of clay were, you know, crackable, replaceable. They weren't valued. They didn't have much intrinsic value. I mean, sometimes people put something that was valuable in them and then they'd bury it in the ground. But for the most part, this word here is given the, given the value of just very little. They're cracked pots, in other words. Each one of us is a clay cracked pot. That's what we're referred to as. And he says, we have this treasure in us. Genuine believers have a treasure in their cracked pot. What is this treasure? So if we go a few verses earlier, we're going to get the answer. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The treasure is this light of the gospel, this message of Jesus, the glory of God reflected in Christ. And just as God at one time when the world was dark, he said, let there be light, boom, and light came. He does that for every one of us. He's done that for every one of us who are believers. We were in living in the world, and our, our hearts, our souls were dark. And maybe someone came along. For me, it was a professional football player who taught a Sunday school class, and he started sharing the message of Jesus with me. And it wasn't the messenger that had the power. It was God's word who had the power. It was God himself, and it was like God said, let there be light, Jay. And it's like, wow, he created supernatural light so that I could see. He was the power source, not the messenger. Salvation is always the result of God's power, not the messenger. The messenger can be faithful, but he certainly is not, she's not leading someone to Christ in the technical term. They might be leading them to Christ, but they're not causing the salvation. God is the originator of our salvation. And then he says, this treasure we have. Amazingly, God wants to use us as clay pots. Why would he want to put his most expensive treasure in us? Because he can be on display. It'll be obvious to everyone that this person doesn't have the power to live like that. There's got to be a God living through this person. He tells us why he uses us. Right there in the verse, to show that the all-surpassing power is from God. That word, all-surpassing, means throwing beyond the usual mark. It means beyond measure. God wants to display his limitless power in and through the believer's life. 
So God uses the weak and the fragile clay pots to carry this all-surpassing power with the light of the gospel. I was reading that uh, there was two college kids that were trying to fill up their apartment with furniture, and they went to the Salvation Army, and they were looking for a couch. And for 20 bucks, they bought a couch. And they got it home, and they tried to sit on it, lay on it, and they realized it's lumpy. They tried to pat that thing out, and they couldn't get the lumps out. Well, they soon discovered the couch was loaded with $100 bills. $40,000 of bills were in that couch, and they got it for 20 bucks. Now, they did go back, and they discovered that it was an elderly lady who had lost her husband, and the kids were trying to take care of her, and they had to get rid of her furniture, and so they gave it to the Salvation Army. I think that's what Paul has in mind here, though. He's got the same argument that God likes to put his treasure in $20 couches, his treasure in clay pots, because when you look at the contrast, you would never give credit to the couch. You'd never give credit to the pot. You can only give credit to the originator of this power, God himself. Secondly, his children can only put God on display through weakness. Paul says this in different ways. We're going to look at a few. He says in verse 27 here, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We're trying to pay attention to this word weak. God specifically chooses. He's looking for weakness. Later in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh that he has, and he says, I pleaded with God three times, take it away. And God says in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships. Why? When I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul says he delights in him. He boasts about him? Now, when you see a star athlete, what does he boast about? How much he makes? How great he is? Right? What do you boast about? Do you boast about your weakness? Do your prayer circles pray for weakness? Paul says, man, there's something about weakness. When I'm made weak... Christ's power is on display for the world to see. See, this goes against every one of our desires. We, we desire comfort, don't we? And God says, I don't necessarily have that for you. Paul learned one simple truth, that effectiveness in ministry is somehow correlated with suffering. He knew that the weaker he became, the stronger the Lord's power was in his life. 
That's why James says that consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. He says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word for perseverance means to remain under. In other words, when you're burning off the impurities of something and something's in the fire, you've got to keep it in that fire until the work is done. And then when the work's done, you can remove it. Like when you make iron, pure iron. Persevere means remaining under that fire until the work is done. God has a way of using trials in our life so that perseverance can be developed in our lives. If you went to a weight room today and you've never lifted weights, a hundred pounds might be pretty, pretty heavy for you. If you keep at it, I bet you can get to 120 pounds. Maybe if you kept at it, you'd maybe get to 200 one day. If you ever get to 200, you'd look back and say, huh, 100, 100's nothing. I can't believe that I used to be at 100. See, that's how we should be. We should develop so much perseverance that one day we look back and go, man, I remember a day when that stuff would just almost shipwreck my faith. But now it just, it's serving its purpose. I have persevered. Now that stuff, I just, I can rejoice. I can boast about that. I can actually delight in it because it's brought about a weakness that puts my God on display for others to see. Let's keep reading our passage. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul gives four metaphors here as examples of his becoming strong in the Lord. Would those shipwreck you? <laughs> Would your faith be altered, shaken? I mean, I'm always so concerned. It's just like you lead an athlete to Christ, and one month later, he tears his ACL. And I'm like, Lord, just let him keep walking with you. And some guys are like, wow, I've learned so much through this. God is teaching me. And others are like, why is God doing this to me? Life was great, and I became a Christian. Now, God, now things are terrible. What about you? What does it take to just get you shaken so badly you've even thought, yeah, I'm tired of serving God? Do you see God's hand involved in your everyday life in such a way that he's trying to build your perseverance so that you can now, through your weakness, display God's amazing power, the light of the glory of his son living inside of you? Paul suffered. You might be looking at me going, Jay, you don't even know the sufferings I've had. And I've heard a lot. I heard one this week that just was one of the worst I've ever heard. But when I compare it to this, Paul's sufferings, I don't know if anyone would ever have a one-up on Paul. Paul says, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, exposed to death. Five times he got 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. Three times at the time of the writing, it ended up being another time. 
He spent a night in the open sea. He's constantly on the move, danger from bandits, sleepless, hungry, cold and naked, and the daily pressures of the church. These sufferings for Paul, that, this did not indicate Paul was out of the will of God. This did not indicate Paul had sin. This was exactly what God was using in Paul's life to bring about a perseverance so that his weakness would be on display for a world that liked to boast about themselves. In 1 Peter, we're told, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you, but rejoice. And then he says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's going to be a day, I mean, the second you see Christ face to face, you're going to be so overjoyed, you'll look back and say, why? Why did I struggle with that ACL so badly? Why did I get so mad at my spouse when I needed to get to work and I turned on the car and the overhead light burned out the battery? And instead of rejoicing and giving thanks and just wondering, God, you must be up to something, I went in the house and I screamed at my spouse. What do these little things do to you? How do you look at all of your circumstances? Do you look at these as opportunities for him to display himself? Or does it become about you, your life? Why do you get surprised? Do you get surprised by the difficult things you had to go through as a Christian? Why does it often feel like God is letting you down? But I want to know, where are believers promised otherwise? In verse 10 we read, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The last point I want to make is the greater his children die to Christ or unto Christ, the greater the life of Christ is on display to give others life. Paul himself said, in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives through me. That's a positional truth. That's true. When Christ died, it's as if we died. But practically, experientially, we don't live perfect lives. We're not totally dead yet, are we? We are constantly having to die to our selfish desires, die to our wants, die to our expectations. If someone somewhere around me has road rage and they go zipping by and they flip me the bird, I don't get to do that. I mean, I do, but hopefully I don't. In other words, if I make a conscious choice, I'll let that guy get away with just dishonoring me so that I take this as lifting 100 pounds, 120 pounds, God, develop my character. I want you on display. And for you to be on display, I got to get weak and weak and weak and develop perseverance. I didn't get to share the gospel with that guy, but I'm developing something so that portrait is getting clearer and clearer to a lost world. We play by a different rule book. We don't get to boast about ourselves like the world. We don't get to cheat on taxes, do we? 
like the world? Can we trust God with a couple hundred bucks instead of giving what we really owe to the government? Is integrity important to you to let this portrait show? Or do we hide the portrait? Because 200 bucks means more to me. There's so many corners we can cut. We're doing ourselves a disfavor and we're doing the world a disfavor because the goal is to let him be on display. College wrestling is my favorite sport by far. The only problem is it's exactly during March Madness. We call it March Matness. So I got a whole bunch of recordings. But one of my favorite uh, wrestlers is Alex Marinelli. He just graduated from University of Iowa. He got to wrestle five years because of COVID. He was 204 in high school. And then he was the number one ranked wrestler two years, but he never won the national championship. I mean, it was just devastating. It was disappointing for him. And after this year, his last year, he got fifth place. That means he lost two times. He was supposed to win it. I want to know, Alex, what was it like for you to lose and get fifth place? Through media, we're going to find the answer. We're going to find out if he persevered and developed weakness and displayed Christ or if he got selfish. So would you watch this two-minute clip for me? With me? I'm thankful. You know, I got, uh, I got the best team. You know, my wife is the best. I have the best coaches. I couldn't ask for anything more. And uh, I'm sorry, Hawkeye fans, I didn't get it done. But uh, you, guys, uh, you guys are the best. Would you find be able to find ways to find positive in your career at this moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm alive, right? Like, I have a wife that loves me. I, I find a lot of things that, like, you know, obviously this is this is a big deal in my life, but that's how I process it, right? So, I'm a child of God before I'm a wrestler, and I gotta always think that, you know, I have Jesus who died for me, so I'll live for Him. Alex, there's a wall in Iowa City of four-time All-Americans. Not a lot of names on it. You're going to be on that. What's that mean to you? It's a big deal, but you guys know what I wanted. You guys know that I wanted the, the title, and, uh, you know, I got to be thankful and, and appreciative of what I did, but I'm, uh, I know I'm better than that, and, you know, this, this tournament's tough. I got I to gotta appreciate the, the, the ride and the journey, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's been great. What kind of mark do you think you left on the program? My goal and my word that I describe, like to describe myself as a champion. And, uh, you know, if I don't get what I want, I can still be a champion off the mat. I can still be a champion the way I carry myself. Um, I'll be a champion for Christ. I'll be a champion for my wife, for my friends, my family, um, then in the future. That's good. I hope that did something for you. 
first time I saw that, I just bawled. I still get choked up. I've watched that thing over 30 times. He got his identity right. I'm more than a wrestler. I'm a child of God. If we learn to think like that, that the best thing we can say about ourselves is that I'm a child of God and he's using this clay pot to, I don't even get it, but he's changing my life in such a way that his portrait's being lived out because there's other people that God wants to say, let there be supernatural light to them, but they need to see the light. And I don't want to extinguish that light. Alex did a great job of just letting people know he's living for Jesus. He's a champion for Christ, he says. Just because I get fifth place doesn't mean I'm not a champion. That's world. I'm a champion because my identity's anchored into my relationship with God. That's the most important thing we can give someone else. It's an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Isn't it? Or would we rather just make a whole bunch of money so we can retire and go away? Or do we really think about my neighbor, my circle of influence? There are so many people that need Christ and we're so busy sometimes telling ourselves they would never be interested. Or maybe sometimes we say, who am I to say anything? My portrait's all marred. I keep putting myself ahead. This is the challenge I had reading the scripture. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing it with you. This message has to go through me first. I was convicted. I'm not telling you to do anything I'm not willing to do. I'm trying to die, die to myself so that the life of Christ gets lived out. I'm always carrying around this death. And I got to play by a set of rules sometimes I don't like. But I'm willing to do it most of the time so that others can have life. So in summary, we looked at three truths today. That God wants to display his Mona Lisa through you. In fact, it's something even more valuable than a Mona Lisa. Something more priceless, something more powerful. He wants to be on display. But you've got to be weak. He cannot use your strength. The world doesn't need to know how do you live with a million bucks. How do you live if you're a four-time champion? How do you live when everything's going great? They have, they're very comfortable boasting about that. But what they need to know is, where is their hope when my marriage is falling apart? Where is my hope when I lost my job? Where is my hope when I just don't feel like I have a purpose? Where is my hope? Dot, dot, dot. But we have the hope of glory in us. That's why Paul could rejoice in all his trials because of the hope, the future, what's coming. We're going to be so overjoyed that we'll be willing, we'll be glad that we died to ourselves so that he might live. Let's pray.